You are listening to audio from Citizens Church Elmira. You can find more resources and learn more about our church at citizenselmira.ca. If you got a Bible, please turn to Luke chapter 2, where we are uh, going through this chapter, and we are spending the weeks thinking about Advent. And I don't know if Advent is in your history at all, if it's something that you experienced as a child or maybe something that you just heard about. I didn't experience much of Advent growing up. The different traditions that I went into uh, didn't really do it much. Um, I did end up going to Catholic high school, so then I was kind of introduced to the idea of it. There's a long story behind that, okay? But um, So I was kind of introduced to Advent then, but um, have kind of come back to it. It's kind of risen a little bit in the consciousness of the evangelical world even. And the reason is it's a potential gift for the church. Advent is, Advent really means coming. And it's, it's a time that the church has set aside four weeks to prepare for the arrival of Christ. And it's in our church tradition. It comes back from maybe the fourth, fifth, sixth century. So it's been around a long time. And it's been something that different aspects of the church have celebrated to to prepare you and to prepare us corporately for Christ's arrival. Now, there's uh, good reasons to do Advent and there's bad reasons to do Advent, like anything in religion. Advent can become just this thing that you do, wrote memory activity that has no significance at all. Anytime you do something over and over again, it can open the door for trouble. And I don't know if you have heard this before, but they say that the majority of accidents happen within just a few miles of your house. And I was thinking of that this week, and I was like, is that true, or is that just like a myth of a story? So I looked it up. It is true. Progressive Insurance actually did a study on this a number of years ago. They, they need to know this kind of stuff, okay? And they discovered that 52% of all accidents happen within five miles of your house. And the reason for that is because it's the neighborhood that you know the best. So you're still doing your hair, you're still looking at emails as you're driving around the neighborhood, and that's when it happens, right? The repetition, the familiarity, you just go in autopilot. And that's what can happen with Advent. It just becomes something that you do over and over and over again, you just are on repeat, and it means nothing. And so in, if that's the case, then it's a bit of a trap. But if Advent is a season where you reflect and you actually prepare your heart, it's actually a gift then to you as a believer, and it's a gift to us as a congregation. Martin Luther was noted as saying that we should celebrate a triple Advent We celebrate his arrival in the manger, we anticipate his coming in future glory, and we experience his presence in our heart. The incarnation, the second coming of Christ, and his presence in our own hearts, that's what Advent is meant to be and what it has the opportunity to be for us this year. The question is, And this is one for each of us to answer is, will we make space for him? And will we make space for that preparation that needs to happen? I don't know about you, but I can't believe we're halfway through December already. And so 
two weeks from today will be Christmas morning. Yeah, get it all done in the next two weeks. And what happens to all of us is just the busyness of this season becomes overwhelming, and then the, the preparation can just float right over us. But we want to pause as a congregation, and so we are taking these weeks to think about the themes of Advent. And this morning we're thinking about joy, as Bert introduced already this morning. This idea of joy. And in the scriptures, there is at least two big ways to think about joy. The first is this, that joy is a feeling. And so throughout scripture, as Bert was saying, it talks about rejoicing and being glad and experiencing this joy. And there's times where we are actually supposed to feel that joy. In Matthew 18, when Jesus tells the story of the lost sheep, it says that when the shepherd finds the one that is, has been lost, he rejoices over the one. He's feeling joy because this is like great. I had 100, it was down to 99, it's back up to 100. That's like good news. Feeling good about that. But there's another way to view joy, and it's joy as an action or as a choice. James 1-2 says this, Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. So not finding a sheep, not having the good things happening. James is saying, here's another way to experience joy. When things are going terrible around you, you can actually choose joy. You can count it all joy. So that kind of deep rootedness in joy comes from more than just our circumstances, though we're, we're rejoicing when our circumstances are good. It is rooted in something deeper. Because to be joyful in the midst of pain and to be joyful in the midst of trial and difficulty, that has to be rooted and grounded and firm in something deeper than just our circumstances. And so this morning we're going to look at a passage that is so familiar to us. For those of us who are Christians, we've heard this passage often. We just heard it read. But we're going to think about the idea of joy from the arrival of the good news about Jesus. So let's read verses 8 and 9 again. And we'll see here that joy actually starts in darkness and in fear. That's actually the place where the narrative brings the news of joy. Look at verse 8. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. So not just fear. They were filled with great fear. Joy is not automatic, and especially not at Christmas. Not everybody is feeling like Bert, right? Bert's like, joy, piece of cake, I love Christmas, food, everything's great. For many of us, joy at the Christmas season is elusive. Christmas actually brings up for us like anxious feelings, memories of things that are lost and gone, thoughts of what is been broken and can't be repaired. There's like a, a dark side to this joyful Christmas that we've all got going on everywhere around us. We kind of try to like just brighten everything up as much as we can, but we, many of us, 
know that in the Christmas season there is a, a dark pain underneath it all that keeps rising up. And it's fitting that this is actually the place where the story comes into the nation of Israel. They are also in a season of darkness and pain. We, we were talking about this in the Gospel of Mark. They have been a people under another people. The Roman army has come and Rome has brought its rule over this nation. And the people of Israel are sitting under this oppression, asking the question, God, I thought we were like the chosen people. I thought you were supposed to come and resolve this. And now here we are, your people, under this oppressive foreign nation. And it's into this moment of darkness that God comes and accomplishes his purposes. And even in this setting, it comes into a literal darkness. It's coming at nighttime. Here it comes to the most unsuspecting people. The shepherds are out there. You can picture them, okay? Out in the hills. Maybe you've been out in the hills before at night. And they're watching these animals as they lay there. Hopefully they're sleeping and they're not wandering off. And the, the shepherds are maybe sitting around a fire. Maybe they're drinking something. Maybe they're nodding off to sleep. And suddenly before them, you know, this light shines on them. And this angel comes down. And if you have a Bible, you can see Zechariah in chapter 1 has just finished his prophecy. And at the end of his prophecy, he says... In verse 78, he says, Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. What Zechariah has just prophesied earlier is now coming to be fulfilled. The angel is coming and brings literal light into the darkness that is around them. And all that the shepherds can feel and even choose to feel is great fear. The shepherds experience this great fear. And why are they afraid? Would you be afraid? An angel kind of comes down to you at night, I'd probably be afraid, okay, honestly. They are afraid because suddenly the, the divine is coming into their presence. The angels are coming from the presence of God, and now they are coming into the presence of these shepherds. And so it's natural that they are afraid. In Exodus, there's another story of another shepherd named Moses who also experiences this presence of God through a burning bush. And it says that Moses, you know, saw this burning bush and went towards it, but it says that he hid his face in fear because of the presence of God coming. And so it's natural to, to experience fear before God or before some sort of angelic presence. It makes sense to us. Um, we're so familiar with it that it's just a part of the story. But here they were experiencing this presence before them, and they experienced great fear. We're often romanticizing the shepherds. I don't know about you, but we have like still some little kids' books in the basement, you know, like cartoon books of the shepherds, and they just, like, look lovely. You know, they're guys dressed in robes, and they're sitting around a fire. We've kind of got, like, this beautiful picture of them. But 
The shepherds were the lowliest of all jobs in the nation of Israel. The only people that were considered lower than shepherds were lepers who were on their own on the outskirts of the villages and towns and the cities. And so here comes this angel into the presence of the outsiders, the ones who were rejected by society, who were out in the fields doing their work. And it is, it is fitting for them to come to the shepherds because it is a precursor for what Jesus is going to do. Jesus' own ministry was going to be to the outsider, to the outcast, to the one who would be rejected by you know, the, the normal person, the normal society. Nobody wanted to be like the shepherd. And it's to those very people that the angels come with their message. It's a great message. Because I think often we also picture ourselves as the cleaned up version of the shepherds. The nice paintings of the shepherds. Like we've got even into our own minds that the shepherds are these lovely characters that have nice robes on and they're, you know, they're the respectable kind of people. Rather than thinking, we're like them. We're the kind of people also that Jesus has come for. We might be a little bit cleaner than shepherds. We might not smell like the shepherds. But God has come for the outsider, which is us. He's come to reach us. Those who were outcast and on the... It's good news that is coming to the outsider, to the outcast, to the one who has brokenness in their own lives. Joy is coming and joy is good news. Listen to these verses starting in verse 10. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was the, with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those who, with whom he is well pleased. Man, so the... the angelic presence just increases for them. So the angel brings to them good news. And the way that the angel announces this is, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Because what was their first response? Fear. Great fear. We just talked about that. Great fear. And I don't know about you, have you experienced fear before? Fear can be paralyzing. It can, it can leave like residual effects for a long time. I often think of this, basically every time I, I cross a border, I think about when I was going to my wedding. So we were married, Liz and I were married in California, which is her home state. And so I was in Canada. And when I was going to the wedding, I had to fly there. So I flew from Toronto to Vancouver. And then in Vancouver, I had to go through customs, and fly to California. So I go up to the customs desk, not thinking there's, I'm gonna get married. And it was like, bells went off. You know, it was like, might, have well, might as well have had like a big red light on my head. You know, it was like, 
Uh, you're going to get married, and then come to find out you're supposed to have a visa to get married now. I didn't know any of this stuff, okay? He's asking me all kinds of questions, and it was basically a big red reject. I didn't get through. I had to spend the night in the airport. I, I did end up getting to the wedding, okay? So we, we are married officially. It was all taken care of. But for years to come, for years, even still to this day, not so much, but for years, any time I'd get close to any border crossing or any customs agent, just the beads of sweat would just be... Start. I probably looked guilty of some sort of crime, even though I was just innocent, you know, passing through. It just left its mark on me, this experience of fear. That, and that I categorize as great fear, okay? That was great fear. And here the... Shepherds are experiencing that. Angels' presence coming. Not like an exciting party atmosphere. Great fear is hitting them. And what does the angel tell them? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And they might be thinking like, what? This is, this is a crazy experience in my life. How am I not supposed to be afraid? The angel says, do not be afraid because there's good news. You see that? Look at verse 10. I bring you good news of great joy. There's a reason why you can be unafraid. There's a reason for that. The problem to the greatest, or the solution to the greatest problem has come now, and it's good news. The angel is going to give them this good news because the was going to be solved. And I don't know what you think the greatest problem is in your life. You may think it's, the economy, how things are going, inflation is going up, you still can't buy a house, or maybe like all of your you know, mortgage payments are just increasing, so you're thinking this is like a massive problem here, and then like on a global scale, you're thinking this is huge. Or maybe you think that the political system is broken, or you just don't even want to think about it, you don't even like that I'm bringing it up in the sermon here. There's so much division and anger. And you're thinking, I don't know what the future looks like in the whole political realm and in Canada and the world. That is a major problem. Maybe you're thinking the wars around the world, the famines, the floods. I mean, go down the list. There are some major problems and then there's the problems in our own lives, the things that consume our hearts. But here in this moment, the angel is saying, don't be afraid. I'm bringing you good news. And the reason why this is the good news of great joy is because it is solving the greatest problem that humanity has. And it's the problem of our brokenness between God and us. The curse of sin that has come and touched every single life on the planet. This is, so this is a problem that crosses all barriers, all borders, all demographics. It affects everybody on the planet. Our sin, the curse of sin, breaks the relationship that we have with God permanently until something is going to come and resolve that. Something outside of us. Something that is greater than us. None of us is able to fix that. No matter how much we give to a cause, 
no matter how many gift cans we give to the food bank, no matter how many old ladies we help walk across the street, none of those things will solve the, the unsolvable for us problem of sin in this world. And that should bring on us even a sense of fear, not like the fear that the angels gave to the shepherds, but some sort of fear because this is a looming problem. And the angel says, don't be afraid. There's good news. There's good news coming. And the good news is this, that a, verse 10 again, good news of great joy for all the people, for unto you is born in this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Jesus was coming, who would be a Savior, not just a baby, not just another Jewish man born into the world, but a, a baby with a purpose and a life to live who would be a Savior, who would save his people from their sins. And this is the good news. This is the, the root of a joy that is so deep and wide. It is a joy that is for all people. Jesus has come to save his people from their sins. And so this joy is great joy. And the story goes on like this in verse 15. It says, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. So the shepherds go, they, they do as they're told, they go, and it says that they made known to those, so they made known to Mary and Joseph and whoever else was there, the saying. And what was the saying? We just read it. It was, I bring good news of great no great joy for all the people because a Savior is coming. For all the people. This is what the shepherds came to tell them. This is good news of great joy for all the people. Now, that's an interesting statement right there for all the people. It is primarily focused in the context here on the nation of Israel itself. It's a people. So Jesus is coming to a people, and firstly, he's coming to his people, the children of Israel, the nation of Israel. They are going to receive this message that they have been waiting for, longing for, looking for. And throughout the Old Testament, the, the story and, and the prophets and the writings have all been pointing to this moment where a Savior would come where the nation would see their Messiah come up to save them. In Isaiah 35, I just want to read a number of verses from this, this short passage, 10 verses, but it beautifully lays out for us the hopes that the nation was hanging on to and the promises that they had been given. Listen to these words from Isaiah 35, starting in verse 1. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom with the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. 
The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord and the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak knees and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong and fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy, for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And let me just jump down to verse 10. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return to come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. These are the promises that the nation of Israel was clinging to and that are now coming in part through Jesus. You can read that text and and if you know the Gospels, you know that some of that is actually happening in the life of Jesus. There's miracles that are happening. So it's coming in part through Jesus already. And one day it will come in its total fulfillment. It'll be a, a total change where the, the kingship of Christ is coming at his second return. But here, it's coming firstly to the nation of Israel, to God's people. But it's not limited to the nation of Israel. God's plan was always that this amazing work of the Savior would be for all the people around the world. That God would do this through the nation of Israel and they would be a beacon of light and they would, sh- they would like reflect his glory to the nations around them. And even we today as God's people, as the church, we're called to reflect his goodness to those around us. And so the gospel and the good news, the news of a savior, the joy that comes with that is something that is meant for the world at large. And it is spreading around the world, even as we live in a country where it is in decline. And I just read again this week some studies that were done, and basically every category of, almost every category of the Christian faith in Canada has been in decline over the last 10 years. Whether it's Catholic, Anglican, United, Baptist, all of them in decline. We are living in a society that is choosing to find its joy in something other than Jesus or the institutional church even. Some, some of them for, for good reason, honestly. But they are rather choosing to search for their joy in the things that we can buy, in the things that we can eat, in all the pleasures of the world around us in different power, in sex, in all kinds of things. Searching, trying to find joy in those things. And some people would say, if you ask them, it's working. They're finding it. They're enjoying it. They're loving it all. But statistically, we're seeing that our societies, especially Western societies, are more anxious more fearful, experiencing more levels of brokenness than, than maybe ever before in society. And so the search 
is elusive. And the search is being felt as hollow for many people, even in our society around us. But God continues to spread the message of joy. Don't lose hope, church. The message of joy is going out. And it is a global message. God is building his church around the world at different times, different places, go in decline, and yet God continues to build his church. I can remember, and I've referenced it a few times, going to Embabala Island in Zambia, doing a trip there, and just seeing what God is doing on that island. And I was looking again this week at some of the reports from the missionaries that are there. One that just recently came in said that on that island, I forget how many people live there, maybe like 20,000 people or something, you know, just a small little place. In the last year, they had over 150 baptisms. Can you imagine that? 150 baptisms on this little island in a town that's just small. That's like, if we had that happening in our midst or around us, that's revival talk, okay? That is like God is at work, and he is at work. He's doing things. This week, again, I also had a... Uh, a prayer letter from missionary friends who are working in West Africa. I asked if I could put their picture up. They're dear friends of us who, this is a picture of them with uh, a few of their own kids. Some of them are adopted, and they have a number of uh, young men that are living with them, and they're doing Bible studies together. They're living life together. They're helping these guys into school. And, and they just wrote in their letter that some of these guys are believers and they're just learning to follow God and growing in their strength. And others are not. And they're just a part of their family and they're loving them. And I thought, this is a picture. This is what God is doing. In small ways, he is growing his kingdom. The joy that comes with the message of the Savior is going out. And just like the shepherds, it's not done in big, flashy ways. It is to the outsider. It is to the people that we would not expect to respond to it, that God is growing his church and growing it all around the world. Do not be afraid. Good news of great joy has come. And it's greater than anything that we could ever buy or even experience. I can remember being a kid six, seven years old, probably one of my early memories and getting a, like an amazing gift. It was a John Deere tractor, like metal, okay, like, and like with the eight, uh, yeah, eight wheels and it had like a attachment to it. And um, I remember years later, my mom saying that, yeah, they, this was when we lived in, in Manitoba and my mom was like, yeah, we actually drove down, your dad and I drove down in North Dakota, and there were some malls there, and we bought this thing, and we brought it back. And, and your dad loved the gift so much that he actually opened it on Christmas Eve and was like playing with it, and then put it back in the box, okay, and then wrapped it up. And, uh, and so, I mean, I, obviously I didn't know that. And so I opened it, just a great, wonderful gift. But you know what? I don't have that tractor anymore. I sold it to my neighbor for like some spending money, okay? Probably just to buy like gum or something. I don't know. Some trivial thing. And even if I would have it to this day, it's not 
a gift that is going to give me the, the deepest sense of joy. Now listen, I'm not saying don't enjoy Christmas this year, okay? G- give all the gifts that you can give. Act surprised when you need to act surprised, okay, even when you're not. Um, but there is a gift that is coming with joy that is deeper than anything that any of us could give to each other. Peter says this in 1 Peter 1, verse 8. He says, Though you have not seen him, though you haven't seen Jesus face to face, you love him. And though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, filled with glory. It's a joy that is deeper than, like there's no words. The words that I'm giving even now can't get to the depth of it. And this Christmas again, this Advent, we're reminded that the message came to some outsiders, to a bunch of shepherds. And they brought it to Mary and Joseph and said, there is great joy that has come. It's Jesus, our Savior. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful story, the real events of your coming to this earth to seek and to save us out. And Lord, this this morning and this Christmas season again, I pray that we would be taken up by the reality of the joy of Jesus in our hearts. And Lord, if there's someone here who's never put their faith and their trust in you, I pray that today would be the day that they would begin to experience in their hearts and in their lives the inexpressible joy and the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen.